Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Earl and Dave. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about white-collar workers and the fact that they are still part of the working class, though it is often... Often they are portrayed as somewhat separate from that whole idea of class even and the class struggle. Um, Dave, this was sort of your idea. What's sort of an overview of what we'll be talking about today? Um, I think the main thrust of it is that there's this sense that there's, you know, the the people on the bottom, you know, what we traditionally would call blue-collar workers, and that white-collar workers are somehow above that, above the fray of the working struggle. Um, and while there are some obvious benefits to being in, in the sort of the white collar worker class, it's still very much um, something we need to think about in terms of class and the working class versus the capital class. Yeah. Now, the two of you both work in the tech industry, you know, in one form or another, mm-hmm. um, which is something we've talked about a lot on punching out in the past few months, it feels like. Uh, my background is in journalism, though that is not what I do for a living. Um, so I, the two of you have experience being, you know, exploited, even though you make decent money and, yeah. you know, you experience the benefits of being a skilled laborer is the term they used to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. In my in my experience, um, I have actually never worked for a firm. I've always been freelance. So my experience for the most part is that sort of extreme p- precariousness of, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any benefits. Uh, I don't have, um, you know, any kind of, and there's, there's no one to turn to for help. Basically, uh, if anything happens, there's no freelancer union or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, l- luckily my clients have been pretty decent. I have had a few that were not so great, um, but often they they recognize your precariousness and are very and will aggressively negotiate with you to just basically assuming that you need the work, like that you're desperate for the next job, and so that's like basically the extent of my. It's mostly a pr- position of precarity. Yeah, and and you know I'm on the other hand have always you know I've done some freelance bits, but mostly I've worked for um, companies, mostly small companies, but you know, firms that, you know, gave me a paycheck and benefits. And at the same time, white collar workers tend to, um, and again, this is speaking for people who have, who are employed, um, uh, you know, they have, you know, good pay, good benefits, sort of, they actually have what most would call the American dream. They're financially stable. Um, You know, they have what I think every worker should have is, you know, a salary I can live on, decent benefits, vacation, But at the same time, there's sort of an expectation of, well, you know, you're getting, you know, what these great, amazing things, you should probably work, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week when we want. And there is a sense of, of, you know, you're fortunate to have your job and you need to do whatever you can to keep it because the alternative is living paycheck to paycheck without benefits. Being one of the rest of them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. You know, and I think that um, is a is one of the sources, like I mentioned in the, the beginning, you know, that that trying to keep the white collar worker above the fray um, in that, like, oh, you know, if you don't do what we say, if you don't, you know, sort of advocate for policies and, and legislation that keeps things the way they are, any minute you could be one of the one of the others, you know, right. so watch it. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of an ideology that pervades tech especially. Um, I, I don't think it's unique to tech, but tech sort of attracts a certain type of, you know, CEO or founder or startup type of guy. It, it's usually a guy. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's always a guy. <laughs> who's, um, you know, sort of vaguely libertarian, you know, has this idea of we're going to, you know, innovate our way to the future. And I, I think this – has a negative impact on solidarity because it 
inherently treats people as individuals. You know, you're looking for the next Steve Jobs and not really concerned for the thousands of people who had to work under Steve Jobs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, And if you look at, you know, the big tech companies now, you know, Facebook, Facebook basically stole someone else's idea. You know, I'm sure that, uh, the, you know, the, the, the founders and the, the executives are pretty smart guys, but they didn't write all the code that runs on Facebook. And they didn't do most of the work of, to build that company. Uber didn't invent people driving Ta- taxis. Places to, right. They, they didn't invent taxis. You know, <laughs> right, they yeah. invented, well, they didn't even invent anything. They, they you know, came up with a slightly better way to exploit people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and but again, yeah, it's a great point that the the libertarian mythos of the rugged individual getting huge rewards for his risk and brains and, right. and hard work. When, and again, the, the, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is he's a smart guy. Bill Gates is a smart guy. There's no doubt that those are intelligent people. But you know, the the idea that they succeeded only because of their intelligence and hard work is it's a myth yeah exactly it's a myth it's 90 percent luck and ruthlessness well 10 percent brains that's exactly what i was going to say is that it's the ruthlessness that got them there there's plenty of very smart people Mm -hmm. but you have to be willing to wield that intelligence in a ruthless way to be able to become you you spoiler alert everybody you can't be nice and become a billionaire can't do it uh (laughs) just because just by virtue of what you have to do to people to get that because again, you don't earn that money. Nobody earns a billion dollars. Well, you take it the, from other people. What if I won the lottery like fourteen times? I mean, I get well. Yeah, I guess so. Ah, yeah, that no, I could do. Well, yeah, so you know, shame on me for saying <laughs> can't. Uh, uh, more than likely. Um, uh, but going back to that sort of rugged like individualism, um, that sort of philosophy that's very pervasive in tech. What that also does is it sort of allows those. Some of the, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but some of the white collar workers to feel like they are actually separate from the blue collar workforce that literally supports their job. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, go, you know, Google and et cetera, these huge campuses um, that have cafeterias, who's working in the cafeterias, you know, who's keeping right. the office clean uh, for every, you know, engineer, how many support, quote unquote, support staff is there underneath them. And again, underneath them in air quotes also, because like not to say that one job is more valuable than the other, but just in the hierarchy of how that building operates, they tend to forget that in the same way that it's it's very convenient for tech founders. And, you know, even going back to to jobs and, and was in the garage or whatever, like that's sort of the quintessential uh, these two dudes in a garage um, built this like empire. You know what I mean? Like no right. one's talking. You know, no one uh, generally conveniently forgets to talk about the fact that you know a lot of that hardware was built by other people. They were cobbling par- parts together. And there's a pretty famous uh, quote. I mean, this is a paraphrase. I'm not going to remember the exact thing. But uh, Steve Jobs at one point basically told Bill Gates, "Like you stole your idea from me." And Gates looked at him and was like, "Come on, Steve. Like we both stole it from Xerox." Uh, you know, like that's the so there's this whole like idea that, you know, with just gumption and intelligence and whatever, you can uh, you can build these like empires. Uh, and it's ridiculous. And speaking to Uber specifically there, they've never been shy about saying our our goal is automation. Right. We want cars that drive themselves. We want to get rid of the worker completely. Right. Uh, you know, and that speaks to some before we started the episode, Dave, you're basically equating it to like almost hyper capitalism, right? right? Because they're just trying to, they're just trying to cut out the worker. They want to just be owners, owners and robots. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like the modern tech that, that every company that everyone you know holds up as this gold standard is, you know, is the epitome of capitalism, right? Facebook doesn't produce anything. Uber doesn't really produce anything. What they do is they enable the exploitation of people outside of their own company, right? Like, right. you know, we were talking a little earlier before the episode, like, you know, if you look at the sort of the, the pyramid of the big, big, you know, old school firms, General Motors, General Electric, right? There's this huge base of blue collar workers. And then as you work up to them, you know, management, engineers, middle management, and so on, all the way up to the CEO, right? You know, Uber and Facebook have completely eliminated that huge bottom part of the pyramid there are no you know obviously like you said there's support staff cafeteria there's a lot of independent contracts but but technically those aren't employees right so they've outsourced their exploitation when you log on to facebook you're being exploited for profit 
Facebook's not paying you. Facebook's not giving you benefits, but they're exploiting you. Yeah. The Uber driver, you know, he's an independent contractor in air quotes. Right. Um, you know, he's not getting benefits. He's not getting anything from Uber, but he's being exploited by Uber. And that's why those companies are hugely profitable. I mean, I did uh, some numbers because I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, that's why I work in tech, I guess. You know, and if we look at, you know, GE's biggest year, which was 2000, um, back when, you know, Joe Walsh was being worshipped as the hero of capitalism, whatever. Um, and adjusted, uh, their market cap in, in 2020 dollars was $887 billion and they made $192 billion in revenue. And if you divide that by the number of employees, you get, they made $62,000 for every single person they employed. And GM last year, who had a great year, they made $84,000 per employee. And if you look at Facebook, or, um, they made $1.7 million per employee. And last year, I think it's a safe bet that their employees are not all making one point no. seven million dollars or <laughs> right. anywhere close to that. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you know, and it comes back to the whole thing is yes, the you know the white collar workers, you know, that are being quote unquote well taken care of. They have again, like I said, what every worker should have in that they have a living wage and benefits. Then you know they're mostly treated with dignity and respect. But if you look at what they're bringing in, it's insane how much capital is being funneled to the top and again it's yeah. it's sort of hyper capitalism it's more efficient capitalism yeah yeah there's still that's the thing is when you think of exploitation you you have to think of that they're that they're getting crumbs compared to right oh, like the ownership class you know what I mean? that's and that's what's happening even what though, we mean by exploitation right exactly right, right, yeah right, it's right. not it's not that they're so relatively speaking and then also too just to be just to be fair a lot of these people that are living in silicon valley and you know san francisco like the bay area and stuff like that in san francisco are still rent burdened because of the like gentrification that these industries caused in those areas in the right. first place so even though you might be making one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, but if you live in san francisco you know what i mean that's 30 40 percent of that is still going to go to rent that year because mm -hmm. it's insane um, but yeah, that's the speaking of that, the, yeah, the value that those employees, each employee is generating for that company and what they're being compensated is ridiculously low. Yeah. I, I guess one of the points we're trying to make is that, you know, you, you come right down to it. These white collar workers still have a lot of the same struggles and issues that blue collar workers do. You know, you, you talk about the exploitation, you know, the boss is making a dollar, you're making a dime, so to speak. Right. Um, but, but also We've seen in the past year, you know, stories about like sexual harassment at these companies, stories mm -hmm. about the companies acting in ways their employees don't care for in terms of politics, which these tech companies do all right. over the place. Yeah. These are struggles that working class people, you know, can relate to it. You know, the, the power imbalance between a boss and their employees is still there. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then you see even just like even just day to day work, especially in like the video game industry. I mean, we talked on this on the, you know the show before about like crunch and and employees being lit, like expected. Like it's a, it's a pretty standard expectation that during crunch times you're working ninety a hundred hours a week out of on a video game. Again, it's not you're not splitting the atom. You're not you know putting you're not doing anything critically important to the speed. But they got you working ninety a hundred hours a week, uh, anyways. To just to get their game out on time, like that's you know what I mean. That's right. And, and and the fear is that if you get if you refuse, you'll get fired. And and then if you're fired, you aren't part of that upper right. Yeah, you know, upper end of the working yeah. class anymore. Well, and one of the specific things that we found out, I think, doing the doing one of the video game episodes was that if you get fired before a game is completed, your name doesn't go in the credits for that game, it, which is at certain companies. Right. Certain companies, yeah, that's true. Which is effectively, you know, you, now you can't add that to your resume. There's mm -hmm. no proof that you worked on it. It's like you could have put in all this time and then just, you know. And another thing we talked about with the video game episode is the way they sell this vision to you of, you get to work in video games. Isn't that cool? And that serves as right. sort of a substitute for like yeah. a healthy work-life balance. And yeah. it's expected to right. be enough for you when, you know, it's not. Yeah. Well, yeah. oh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. I, was saying, yeah, I mean, the, the reason that Google and Facebook have cafeterias and so on like that isn't because they're nice. It's because they want you at work all of the time. Right. Because it's cheaper for them to do that right. than to pay you more. Yeah. Like and they it, would rather have you be like, oh, look, we got a slide, you yeah, know, or yeah. whatever. And it's just like, I mean, I can't believe how strangely ubiquitous the slide is. Well, you and know. Like, it's like, God, anyways. There's um, something infantilizing about it. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. But you know, uh, that speaks to sort of the, the man, the man-child prototype of of programmers. Well, you know? Work is yeah. fun, unlike your dreary existence outside of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but what I was thinking too, you know, the that that culture 
uh, you know, Google famously is uh, their slogan for a long time was don't be evil. Uh, and now it's not, which uh, is right. kind of they interesting. Were, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I think once you start taking uh, AI work for the military and stuff, I don't think you can – you know, once you make missiles better at killing people – I mean, I don't know specifically if that's exactly what their AI is doing. But but that's also sort of one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about all that money that goes to the top or, or rather that's maybe not exactly going to the top but isn't being distributed to the work to the workforce. It allows them to get up to all kinds of things in their R&D departments right. and allows for these huge sort of uh, – you know, or maybe like a vast web of interest that these companies have. You know, like I mean, Google started as a search engine, like that was their that was their thing, and now they're effectively an ad company, and they and but they also own, you know, I mean, I can't even begin to list the things that they got so big that they had to make a bigger company called Alphabet. Right. <laughs> you know that like now you know, uh, but yeah, that idea of like don't you know don't be evil. That's sort of people still sort of hold on to that. People that work there. And that's like a that's like a promise of the tech industry in general, right? Is that it's supposed to help alleviate us of through technology some of the drudgery of modern life, but in fact, it turns out that it's an even more efficient exploitation machine right. than because you know that, what we had before. That's what that's the only thing capitalism can produce is exploitation because Correct. that's what drives capitalism, and there's no way around it. Right, and it's gonna yeah, and it's continually refining itself. Yeah, it's getting worse, worse, and worse. You yeah. know, the uh, classic example is how. In the like 50s and 60s, you had the Jetsons and this idea that robots are going to do all our work for you. You're going to work, you know, 10 yeah. minutes a day. Yeah. And instead, what we're seeing at like Amazon's warehouses is you have to keep up with the robots now. You know, right. They're, they're doing yeah. the job, but right. you, you've got to keep up with that pace. And that's yeah. not healthy. Right. Well, yeah, because the only the, the only other option there is that the money that the robots are generating needs to be spread around more evenly to the workers. And if we do that, then we have to start questioning why the owners are getting paid so much in the first place. And then all of a sudden capitalism comes into question. And so they don't want that. So they just got to be like, no, you got to keep up with the robots because that's how it works. (laughs) Let's let's not talk about what uh, Papa Bezos is making. Let's just, (laughs) just fight with that robot. (laughs) We're going to take a little break here, but we'll be right back after this and talk about some of the other fields of white collar work and how they too are being exploited. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Earl. Hello again. And Dave. Hey. I mentioned before our last break there that I wanted to talk about other fields besides tech. We've talked a lot about tech on this show. And another white collar field um, is uh, that of journalism and the media. And this is one that I have a bit of experience in. I got a degree in. I, I worked an unpaid job in for like three years because – it's another field where people are sold the idea that, hey, you want to be in here, right? So you've got, you're willing to sacrifice some things to, um, you know, get your foot in the door is how they frame it. But at the end of the day, it is exploitation. It is all of the things we've been saying about work and tech. And journalists, I don't think on the whole are paid quite to the degree that tech workers are, but they still are viewed as white collar. They're, they're viewed as elite, especially in these uh, political times. Uh, there's been an animus towards the media in general, you know, the uh, coastal elite media um, <laughs> that has led to their concerns in terms of their workplaces aren't necessarily taken seriously by the broader public because the view is that they have it good. And, and that's similar in a lot of ways to mm-hmm. the case in tech. Right. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's definite, you know, intentional and unintentional, but largely intentional, you know, desire by the capital class to see this divide where blue, you know, blue collar workers see journalists and software people trying to unionize fighting for better work environments. And, and the idea is sold to them like, hey, what, what are the hell are they complaining about? You know, um, they have it so good. Why are they complaining? And, and specifically, you see this on outlets like, say, Tucker Carlson's show. You know, he'll point out that, you know, these people all live in New York and L.A. and San Francisco. Right. And, you know, the fact that they live there and they have and they drink coffee 
with like foam on it <laughs> is is meant to signify that they aren't like you even right. though both of you are working for a boss that you probably don't like and for wages that probably don't quite cut it yeah yeah and and, and i think the the reverse is true too right the, especially in in modern tech right it was we talked about well google does have support staff and some cafeteria workers they don't have a huge broad base of people you know quote unquote making the donuts or cranking out <laughs> car parts right so there's sort of a lack of solidarity there um you know you're not going walking in the door shoulder to shoulder with with your blue collar comrades you know so there's this definite divide of of okay, well, I live in this little world and there's the other over there and, and we have a different struggle and we have different lives. And, and the one thing I know is my boss keeps telling me that I'm always on the verge of going over there where it's not as good. Mm -hmm. and, and that divide is based more in like um, uh, it's imposed upon workers more than it's based in anything material. It's, it's not based on anything like, you know, you're not that different from the person making, you know, $20,000 more than you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and you know that's that's part of the American you know uh, libertarian idealism, right? Is that you are where you deserve to be, and that you know the guy over there making less money is not as good as you, and you're told that over and over again. And the people uh, you know who are getting all the surplus value of your labor, well, they deserve to be way up there, you know. So don't question it; just right. just roll with it. I I want to talk a bit about the uh, field of journalism again, um, and just. A couple of weeks back, we did our um, Genius Awards for the year 2019, you know, honoring some of the the smartest in 72-point air quotes <laughs> bosses of the year. And, and we highlighted a couple figures from the media, namely uh, Jim Spanfeller, who uh, runs Geo Media, which owned Deadspin and mm -hmm. run, ran that, ran everybody who worked there off. And in the past week, there, there was a letter from you know, the bosses at Geo Media that was reported on elsewhere saying, you know, they were talking about moving Deadspin to Chicago because that is where Geo Media's ununionized workers reside. That is where they are headquartered. So instead of they're trying to reboot the website with ununionized work and, you know, just hoping that because I don't know if either of you saw this, there was after everybody at Deadspin quit in response to the way management was telling them how to do their jobs. They tried hiring, like, you know, people fresh out of college to write for the site. And what those writers were told is that they were being scabs because that's what they were. They were crossing effectively a picket line by right. joining this site after all its previous workers had quit in solidarity with each other. And the I guess the idea is that somehow they're going to avoid that this time around. It's It's very funny to see. Yeah, that's yeah. I've heard it. No, I haven't been keeping up with that one. That's that's amazing. Um, well, so one of the things that when it comes to media, specifically modern uh, media, is that it blends well with our conversation with tech because it is effectively now because so much of it takes place on the internet mm -hmm. uh, is effectively becoming sort of a tech oriented business, right? And so that speaks uh, to something I wanted to touch on was that the, the internet effectively still, even though it's been, you know, ubiquitous for quite some time now, is still very much the Wild West in terms of like worker protections and uh, compensation, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of the things that were well fought for in sort of uh, the newspaper industry. Exactly. What I was going to say, yeah, is that, you know, they, they're coming from a background of unions and, 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 but now they're shifting to this new space and the, you know, owners got to be licking their chops just like, mm -hmm. yes, great. No, good, we're the internet where you can just do whatever you want to people. Like it's, yeah. And just, uh, and as a, another traditional media outlet recently, um, Sports Illustrated, the magazine, um, mm -hmm. they, they also, the workers there have voted to unionize this past week. Uh, th their own, their new ownership was also one of our geniuses of the year, uh, <laughs> for the way they, are trying to turn that publication in, into something completely worse. Um, but the point I'm getting at is that, you know, there are real material concerns that these workers have about their workplaces and about the conditions under which they work. And that's not really different from anybody who works in manufacturing even. Yeah, that that's the point is that even though, you know, these white collar workers are, you know, quote unquote, better off uh, or in certain ways, it's still, they're still part of the class struggle, right? But sort of the internal philosophies, a lot of these uh, companies, um, I was thinking that when we were talking about Google and, and et cetera earlier, um, one of the ways that they keep them sort of separate from 
the blue collar is that the work that they're doing is important, right? Like that's, you know, Google, Facebook, what, it doesn't matter who you are. It's all, it's all disruptive and it's all important and it's all, you know, leading us into the future and, and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas people that are blue collar are just doing mundane things. I don't know. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter that those, that those jobs are supporting the existence of those white collar workers. It's a, but that within that philosophy of the companies, it's like, no, I assure you what we're doing is important. Right. It's, and again, it's just like, you just sort of made taxis worse or like you made, you know, if, in Facebook, it's like, you just made talking weirder. <laughs> you know, right. like it's not, again, you're not, I don't know how important you think it is, but, uh, you yeah. Know. <laughs> and that, and that exactly, you know, leads into it's the manufactured divide. Right. Between, exactly. You know, and we've seen it throughout, you know, the history of labor in the United States, you know, d- intentionally dividing people on race, on perceived blue collar, white collar divisions, you know, it's, it's there for a reason and it's to make sure that capital does what capital does and that's exploit everyone who right. works regardless of whether you get two weeks of vacation or none at all, you're being exploited. Yeah. Well, yeah. And besides that too, like that's these, we're talking about the people that sort of these companies are putting forward in their sort of PR, right? Like the, the people that are permanent employees at Google or Facebook or whatever, these companies also employ armies of temps and contractors and third party vendors and whatever who do not receive any of the like types of benefits that they would get at if they were a permanent employee and stuff. So they, so it allows these companies to not only still have this huge, um, portion of their workforce, uh, that's works for cheap, but it also allows them to still sort of maintain this air of like, we have slides and uh, you know what I mean? Like right. that, that makes a company look good. And, and if you're one of those people, you in effect have the worst of both worlds because right. you're not making all that much money, but right. you're still treated, oh, you're a Google employee. Look at you, right. Mr. Fancy Pants. Yeah. You know, you, right. you get the resentment that everybody is taught <laughs> to feel towards, you know, people with college degrees. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the people are very often college educated, but they may not live, you know, in Silicon Valley or whatever. So they're they're basically outsourcing these jobs to people that they can pay much, much less. We um, have in-country outsourcing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just it's basically it's outstating sort of. It's so they're taking jobs out of California and moving and, them. To, and there's like you know. historical precedent for this. You see in over the past five decades or so, a movement of manufacturing jobs away from the unionized rust belt towards the right. south right. which is historically not been able to unionize to that degree in large part due to uh, racial divisions right. mm-hmm. yeah certain areas of the country are left behind so to speak and right. that's just you know that's just cheap labor now, yeah that- well it's interesting it's interesting to think that there's a that there's a potential rust belt future for the bay area or something like if it follows that same trend, right? That right. they're just going to keep like, okay, well, well now, so we got some good uh, internet in Montana now, so right. we're going to set up a satellite there because uh, we can pay people thirty a year instead of one hundred and sixty, and then eventually there's this like, well, you're you're seeing you know, in some of these western cities, especially like Boise, Idaho, and yeah. Austin, Texas, there are like mini Silicon Valleys popping up because. Yeah. Neither companies nor the workers can afford the rent in actual Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah. And it's. You know, just another place to repeat this cycle of leaving behind some areas of the country, right. and yeah, and, and it's so it's so interesting, right? That that the the promise of the internet was to free us from all this stuff, and yet right. what happened, right? Yeah, we concentrated all of our jobs in Silicon Valley, even though it's, it's the exactly internet, right. and that right. didn't need to happen. But yeah. hey, capitalism does what capitalism does. Yeah. Um, that's a very good point. These jobs are concentrated in a way that even manufacturing never was. Because, right. like, if you have a manufacturing plant, that takes up space and resources that, like, you can't have all of your factories in Detroit proper. You need them all over the Midwest and up, even up here in upstate New York. Right. Whereas this tech boom has been hyper centralized, hyper uh, concentrated in cities like San Francisco. You know, and you see the same trend in media where all of the jobs that are created are in New York while local newspapers around the country, you know, get bought off by private equity firms and killed. Right. Right. And, and that is another thing that breeds the resent. Yeah. The, yeah. Who these knew, regional who knew, biases. Who knew that uh, bringing, you know, the media world in, onto the Internet, which is decentralized, would centralize all the jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every inner, every like <laughs> online media pl- publication is centered in New York. It is headquartered there, except for apparently Deadspin now, which is yeah. in Chicago. I, th- I think the internet people call that synergy. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it's got, I mean, I just, it just occurred to me and I, this is probably isn't a thought. I mean, I'm sure that other people have thought of this. It just didn't occur to me until just now. It's like, it's gotta be because the, the owners want to live there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like that's all. That's literally all it comes down to. It's like, yeah, but I want my house to be in the, in the Bay area. Well, I, I think a lot <laughs> of it too, right. A lot of it too, this, the, the different centralization of different industries like biotech is in Boston, right. Is the people who have a lot of money to invest live there. And right. they don't want to go anywhere for a meeting. Oh, sure. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want tech money, you have it's, to go to Silicon yeah, Valley. It's funny. Because it's you have just to, that simple. You, know, you have to placate the Mark Anderson and those guys, right? Right. If you want biotech money, you have to go to Boston and placate those guys. So you base your company there. Yeah. That's that where never, the money is. Never occurred. Yeah. Cause it doesn't make any sense really, especially with internet or any kind of tech stuff like that. Right. It's just, you can telecommute. Literally anywhere you want. So like, it, I just I can't believe it never occurred to me. Quite sort of ashamed. Follow the money. Yeah, right. I'm just ashamed of myself <laughs> that it didn't occur to me until just now that it's like, oh, it's literally because those ding dongs live there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and there's maybe an alternate world where these like uh, rising tides actually do lift all boats, where you know the revenues from this tech boom are steered instead of away from like. Elon Musk's weird rocket thing or uh, yeah. the Hyperloop. Peter Thiel <laughs> buying people's blood. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, vampire this, stuff. This <laughs> money would instead go to the workers and eventually to like the people who make that work possible, the support staffs. And, yeah. you know, you'd see more $15 minimum wages because like, like we said, the rent in these places is Absurd. You know, right. the $15 yeah. minimum wage right. is a necessity in these cities. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that the executive assistants and cafeteria workers at Facebook could do a lot with the $1.7 million that's generated by them every year. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so one of the things that's been such a great disappointment about the internet, uh, so that Dave mentioned earlier, was that it was supposed to be this big democratizing engine, right? And then capitalism just came in. Like you said, just does what capitalism does. It concentrates and concentrates and this and that. And, uh, and what Ryan was just talking about in terms of like, you know, spreading that wealth out to the workers, including blue collar people and whatever. That's, that's one of the things that I'm so interested in just in terms of the internet in general, because I still believe in that promise of like a decentralized communication, you know, mechanism that allows for the freedom of expression of thought and sharing and um, and that is that is still alive in parts of the internet, mm. um, but it's interesting to see how consolidated it's become in you know these monopolistic companies, Google, Facebook, etc. Right. Um, you know, even 15 years ago when there was still, I mean, I mean, I'm you, we've all been around long enough to remember that there were competing search engines before. Right. Like there was a ton of weird, you know, Ask Jeeves and Alta Vista and yeah, like exactly. all these all these things that were, weren't you know. I mean, I guess yeah, Bing still exists. That's cute <laughs> and everything, but it's just yeah. Uh, I think we can get back to that place, but it's even Bing is Microsoft. Well, right, right. exactly. Well, right, exactly. But it's just all the, three companies. Just the idea yeah. that, the, that the term Google has become u- ubiquitous with right. a well, search. Yeah, and, and you know, if if you do even some you know basic economics coursework, right, you'll learn that any industry that has some sort of network effect, whether that's trains or hmm. power grid or whatever, or communications network. They all tend to monopoly, and that's exactly what we saw with the internet in in record speed. Is right. that all of our networked effects? Whoom, we now you, you search on Google, you talk on Facebook, right? You know that that's it. Yeah, you know all, it's just, it just capitalism doing what capitalism yeah. does. But it just it. happened at internet speeds. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like yeah, it was just it's able capitalism. To, yeah, but it faster. Was, yeah, if you're if you're you know if your uh, slogan or sort of internal philosophy is move fast and break things, right. then. That's what, kind of what you mission did. accomplished. Mission accomplished. Right, exactly. Yeah, you guys did it. Now go home. <laughs> there, there's a um, j- just to sort of shift the subject a little. There's a s- paragraph in this uh, piece by Alex Press in the Nation that I thought was really you know important. Uh, quote: Consider recent changes in the media economy, rampant layoffs that show no sign of abetting anytime soon, and with them the rise of forced permalancing, you know, permanent freelancing. Mm-hmm. Right. Today, internet publishers are adding workers at twice the rate that newspaper publishers are losing them. And while many of the latter have long been unionized, the former is a wild west with few established workplace standards. This is the proletarianization of white collar labor. And like the proletarians of generations past, these workers are turning to unions to protect what little they already have and demand better treatment. So the argument is that what was once, you know, you could have a career on this. You can have a successful white collar career is now, you know, 
just another job that doesn't even necessarily pay better than all of the other jobs, all of the blue collar jobs you went to college to avoid. Right. I mean, and that, that's exactly it. It's whatever industry exists, capitalism's job is to maximize exploitation, right? You know, weavers used to be white collar workers and yeah. the loom came along. Right. You know, new, being in the traditional media was a sought after career and now it's a commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one thing that technology does. It makes a commodity of labor. And, you know? and there's a big overlap between the rise of a company like Facebook and the demise of all these newspapers uh, that I think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out the ways in which all of the revenue that used to go towards, you know, newspapers now goes to Facebook because that's where people are reading those stories. Or it's going to Google because they're just searching something to find like a, a fact that's in the first paragraph and then they don't actually click the link. Right. Yeah. Or, or Google makes money if they do click the link. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And so, yeah. And so when you look at it in that context that these tech giants are, are eating entire industries, it's really not so, it's really not so surprising about the amount of money that they're playing with. Basically, the amount of money that the companies are worth, mm-hmm. what the the value that the employees well, are generating. Con- consider this city. You know, what what was this city built upon for decades? Kodak, right? A- and that has gone away in just two decades' time right. entirely because of this whole tech revolution, where now everybody has a camera in their phone, and right. they d- they don't need right. a you know a, a thing that can only do one thing to do that for them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And. and- the reason that it works so well is like, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier is they've been able to completely remove that whole broadest part of the pyramid of employment. They've eliminated a huge number of humans that they have to pay, right? And yeah. so, boom, they are able to generate that revenue more efficiently. And so they're rewarded under capitalism. And I'm thinking about another of the companies we talked about on like the Genius Awards, um, I don't know if either you two heard this. The, there was this company that's like based in the Bay Area. They, the whole shtick is that th- you come to them and for two hours, these two guys will watch over you while you do your work and they will make sure you stay on task. And, and my joke was that <laughs> they've just invented bosses. Yeah. <laughs> but like to your point, it's what if we could make the whole company out of bosses and not have to pay all these people below, you know? It's the entire company is just that level now in in the same way as Facebook has eliminated all of the blue collar work that used to go into building an empire of that size. Mm. This company is just this startup is just like a small example of what's happening on a broader scale, which is that companies are now built on almost entirely out of managers instead of actually having you you said it in the first segment. These companies don't have a product anymore. They right. don't produce anything. Yeah. It's. I think you're seeing that. I think a lot of uh, startups, you know, quote unquote startups, are a guy or two who outsource <laughs> all of the production to Argentina or India or mm-hmm. wherever they can get cheap, you know, software development. Yeah. And then they spin that off. They sell the company, and that's it. They literally have a company with nothing. They have a vague idea and the connections to pull in some VC funding. Yeah. And that's it. And no, you know, on paper employees. Yep. Right. Well, yeah. and, and increasingly, a lot of these companies don't even have to show a profit for f- potentially forever. I mean, has, has Uber shown a profit yet? No, I don't think no. they have. Yeah. They've been, they've been running in the red. Same thing with Tesla and all the, a lot of these other companies. And, are just, uh, yeah. You know. how, how many, how much revenue per employee does Uber make? Last year, Uber made $594,000 per employee with a market cap of $75 billion, and they're not profitable. But, they're, but they are the titan of the industry. They're what we should strive for. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you, miss, mixed messages here, capitalism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you've been listening for the last 40 hours or 40, 40 minutes, hours. rather, we hope you've gotten the impression that all this stuff sucks. You know, this isn't good. This <laughs> right. is not a healthy way to run an economy. And- what we're going to talk about in the last segment after we take a little break is how do we fix this? How do we make things better for even the white collar workers and hopefully everyone else in the process? You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Earl. Hey. And Dave. Yeah, Dave. Sorry. (laughs) We've been talking about white-collar workers and why, even if you aren't one, you should have some concern for the struggles they face in the workplace. You know, we've talked about how those struggles are very similar to the ones faced in other workplaces, though there are different levels of pay and resources at stake, perhaps. What we want to talk about now in this last segment is why things are this way in these fields, in these very, you know, lucrative fields. Why is it that workers are working 60 hours a week, 100 hours a week? And why are, you know, all the revenue still going to the top? Why why are some of the ostensibly the workers with the most leverage out of anybody, why do they feel like they don't have a lot of power? I think it's something we touched on, you know, earlier is that there's the sort of constant threat of you're there because your boss says you are there. And that if you, you know, raise any sort of issue, you know, we talked, mentioned like sexual harassment and things of that nature. But, you know, if you, if you sort of rail against 60, 70 hour weeks, well, guess what? There's someone else dying to have that two week vacation and those benefits. Mm -hmm. So you're easily replaceable. You know, even though technically, you know, again, we, you know, we said earlier, look, capitalism is sort of two-faced, right? On the one hand, it's, oh, you know, these workers are high paid because they're in such high demand. But once you're in a job, you're constantly reminded that how easily you're, you can get replaced. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's outsourcing in these fields as well. Right. You know? But an- another explanation for all this is that we, we talked about sort of the ethos that pervades a lot of these tech firms, especially, is this sort of uh, individualistic mindset, you know, the idea that you're there on your own, you know, your success is due to yourself alone, which is not a healthy mindset to have, but also deeply unproductive if your goal is something like collective power. Yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, you're, you're encouraged to be your own person, you know, you are encouraged to think sort of only of yourself and you have to be the superstar. There's the, you know, the, the, the terms that people use is the rock star developer, you know, and, and, you know, yeah, it's everyone in, everyone in tech hates it, but they keep trotting it out all the time. And the idea that you're this lone person in the spotlight who's, who deserves all this stuff because you're somehow smarter and better than everybody else, which is all BS. You know, it's, you know, the people in tech are there because they're lucky. If you look around tech, it's, almost all white and it's almost all male right and mm-hmm. hey look at that white men making out like bandits who would have thunk you know that <laughs> that's not uh, hard work that's privilege this sort of gets laid out in an article by uh, julianne tvetten in in these times quote term the californian ideology by media theorists richard barbrook and andy cameron in 1995 this philosophy adopted as moira Weigel noted last year in The Guardian, tenets of personal liberty and market deregulation, that is, the proliferation of free enterprise unchallenged by workers or governments. These tropes have seeped into the environments of high-tech companies, encouraging individualism and entrepreneurialism among white-collar employees. And it goes on to note how a lot of people who are not entrepreneurs nevertheless feel as though they are because that's what they've been told to, told by their bosses, by you know, because they have these certain skills that make them valuable to companies. Right. And hey, look, you get a slide. The guys, the guys in the machine <laughs> shop don't get a slide, so you must right. be one of the cool elites. Yeah. It's whatever benefits the bosses the most, right, is what they're willing to say. Like they're, if they think most of the time it's going to, uh, you know, benefit them to tell their employees that like you're a rugged individual and you're part of this, you're building something important and you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then when it comes time for crunch, you know, if you're suddenly not willing to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, however, mo- however much, you're not a team player all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden it's, it's like, oh, you're not, you're, you're, you're not an individual right now because you're part of a team when right. things are rough and we need a reason to keep you around working well past when you should be working. But under nor- quote unquote normal circumstances, when you have a normal 40, 50 hour a week workload, uh, no, you're, it's all, it's all, you're a rock star. Right, <laughs> you know, right. you're on, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, and for as long as this sort of ideology has been the case in these companies, there is are some real signs that things might be changing. C- continuing from the article, 
Some white-collar tech workers, particularly programmers and engineers, are recognizing the need for change. Conceived as recently as 2016, activist groups such as Tech Workers Coalition, Tech Solidarity, and Silicon Valley Rising promote tech worker rights and labor awareness across class lines. TWC organizer Ares Giovanos emphasizes that many white-collar employees don't necessarily view themselves the way their companies go them to, an important distinction for fostering worker consciousness. Quote, does a person working in the marketing department at Google see themselves as an entrepreneur? Probably not, he told in these times. Moreover, media portrayals of Silicon Valley professionals are often one-dimensional. The notion that white-collar workers might object to their employer's propaganda and seek a fairer living doesn't exactly pervade mainstream news outlets, which largely concentrate on the most advantaged engineers, Giovannos noted. Quote, the belief among tech workers that they are privileged can prevent them from looking at their grievances, but this is really only true for white male engineers with a degree from a high-profile institution, he said. So there are these sort of movements in place, maybe not unions quite yet, to change the conditions in these um, companies, which I, I think we have to take as a positive. And people who aren't part of these companies shouldn't feel resentful towards the workers they're getting what's theirs. Yeah, and, and you know, and that comes down to again, like where everyone's taught, like, oh, well, it, the two faces of economics, right? Economics isn't a zero sum game when we tech, you know, cut taxes for the rich. But if somebody else gets benefits, it's somehow going to hurt you. So if tech people are unionizing, that somehow it's not a benefit to you. Somehow, it's the weird idea that that helps divide workers across industries and even workers in the same industries at different strata, you know? Yeah. I mean, any kind of, from, in my opinion, any kind of unionization uh, that's successful strengthens labor as a whole, right? It allows, hopefully it makes uh, anyone that's in a union more sympathetic to people who are trying to unionize. And in, in the instance of, of tech, um, it would be beneficial to have support from blue collar people because Chances are they may ask them to like boycott some of these services. You know what I mean? Things like Facebook and et cetera, et cetera, which are things that the vast majority of people use on a regular basis. Um, any kind of solidarity there from you know blue collar workers, et cetera, or just everyone else uh, would be beneficial for them. You know, there, w- there was a time in um, this country when like the divide between uh, craft unionism and industrial unionism was like a salient political issue. This idea that you know the craft unions like um, the AFL wanted to organize workers on the basis of what they did, especially skilled workers. So if you had a trade, you would be in the AFL. When organizations like the IWW felt it was important to organize companies as a whole, industries as a whole, mm-hmm. regardless of what you do for that company, you should all share a union. That's an idea that I think is really important at these times to bridge some of the gaps that might otherwise form between Google's cafeteria staff and their $100,000 a year engineers or what have you. Right. But, and, and that again, it's, it's an intention to divide, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the more we can be together and realize that, you know, it's the, the 99% against the 1% or however you want to phrase it, right? That, you know, yes, some people are, you know, better off than you, you know, mm-hmm. um, from a material standpoint in the short term, right? But in the big in the big picture, everyone is at the mercy of the capital class. And we all need to band together to make the world better for everyone. And, and we talked a bit earlier about how these uh, ideas of class are they're often based on sort of aesthetic things like you, you live in New York, so you can't really be part of the working class. You, you go right. to Starbucks, you can't be, right. you know, you're not working. You might have blue hair or, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> right. it's, it's a bunch of like cultural symbols that are used as stand-ins for class and what class actually means, which is, you know, how do you make your money? Do you work for your wages or are you making it off of ownership of something? Right. And It's noted in a New York Times article that this kind of, beyond just like the resentment that working class or blue collar quote unquote workers feel sometimes towards white collar workers and the coastal elites, this also works the other way. Um, Quote, Sahil Tawar, who worked at Linetics as a software developer and was part of the unionization effort at that company, said tech companies work to make unions seem alien. Quote, associating unions with blue-collar work and making it a stigma to talk about unions in white-collar circles 
that's very deliberate, he said. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea that even among tech workers themselves, even among white power workers, the idea of working together, you know, collective bargaining is viewed as beneath them. It's, it's something that manufacturers should do, but not us. Right. That's how it's often sold to these workforces and why you haven't seen much in terms of unionization. Yeah. And that's just, thing. that's industry specific, you know, union busting or like <laughs> anti-union behavior. You know, it's not, it's, it's the same behavior you see in other, in other sectors, just geared specifically to the philosophies and sort of the way that these people feel in general sometimes and all in the cultures that they're working in. Right. Cause again, if that's, if the company is working hard to make you feel special, et cetera, uh, or that you're above these things or that you're working on things that are important again, so that they have to pay you less then it makes sense that they would also, when they're trying to get you to be anti-union be like, well, that's, isn't that a little below you unions? Uh, you know, so it feeds into that same philosophy of like you're special and et cetera. And, right. and, and, and isn't that enough? Like, isn't it enough that you're a rock star? We, we have to pay you too. <laughs> right. You know, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, anti-unionization message targeted specifically for that group, right? If you, right? Like you said, in the southern states, right, the Subaru and Honda plants down there, mm -hmm. they, they, you know, fought unionization and they had a very specific message to those people. Oh, we're going to close the plants. You're going to be out of a job. Right. You know, and when you, tech companies in Silicon Valley want to unionize, they have to target. That's one thing that Facebook and Google are really good at is developing targeted messages yeah. right, for people because that's <laughs> just all they that. do, yeah, right? That, yeah. um, you know, and it's just that same thing. It's a very well-targeted message to that demographic to ensure they don't unionize. And, and another thing this uh, New York Times article notes is that when there are these rare efforts at unionization within the tech industry, they're met with strong pushback that goes beyond just, you know, ideology. Quote, in February, about a dozen employees at a small technology company called NPM embarked on an effort that is often frowned upon at startups, trying to unionize. For more than three months, the workers had battled the company's new management over their hours, a changing workplace culture and diversity issues, said seven current and former NPM employees. So to give themselves more say, they moved to organize. The employees contacted labor groups, including the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers and the Tech Workers Coalition, to hold unionization discussions. Quote, we wanted the leverage to negotiate for things that were important to us as workers, rather than having them told to us, said Graham Carlson, who was a content marketing manager at NPM, which provides tools to web developers. We felt the best way to address it was to address it collectively. Three weeks after the workers began organizing, NPM laid off Mr. Carlson and four other employees, all but one of whom had been involved in the unionizing. After some of those employees filed a former, formal charge with the National Labor Relations Board, the federal agency that oversees such complaints, NPM settled with the workers last month. No union has been formed. So here we have an example of just old school union bus. Right. Yeah. yeah. You try to unionize and we will fire you. And that's right. no different, at, you know, <laughs> just because it's in Silicon Valley or wherever than it would be in, you know, the Rust Belt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the classics still work. So. It's, it's yeah. also highly illegal, but right. Yeah. You know, enforcement of anybody. such matters is yeah. can often, it can be hard to prove that that's why somebody was fired because yeah. if you're like an at will employment state, you can come up with any reason for why somebody lost their job. Yeah. Well, another thing, I mean, and this is true of, you know, many industries, you know, something like the auto manufacturing industry comes to mind when it becomes with their calculation with doing a recall or something, right? Like it becomes a cost of doing business, right? So it's going to be cheaper for a lot of these companies to just fire people illegally and then settle with them later. It's cheaper than having a union. So they'd mm -hmm. much rather just do that than, you know what I mean, for the time being until it's like, until you have like Google, for example, had those massive walkouts where they had literally 20,000 people or something walking out. It's like, well, I mean, if you're going to, it's going to hurt your company if you fire 20,000 people, <laughs> you know, like all at once. Uh, so unless you have real mass, mass yeah, movement in your company. I should note, there's a point that Noah makes a lot on the show, which is that, um, that a lot of times companies value the power they have over the workers over short-term profits. You know, it's not necessarily the case that they'll make more, that they'll save money with a settlement, but they might in fact lose money, but be willing to lose that money just for the added power of not right, having to unionize the yeah. workforce. Yeah. 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 And another thing that just happened last week is, um, there's an effort now to organize workers in the video game industry, which mm -hmm. has not been the case 
We have not seen really a, a unionized video game company in this country, and, which is why you have conditions like 100-hour weeks during right. crunch time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Quoting from the LA Times, a new campaign launched Tuesday by one of the nation's largest labor unions and spearheaded by one of the leading video game industry activists in Southern California aims to change these conditions. Uh, the campaign to Organize Digital Employees, CODE for short, is a new project of the Communication Workers of America aimed specifically at unionizing video game and tech companies. So here we have at least the beginnings of something that could be a union down the line. It could yeah. be, it could mean changes to the industry that have been long overdue if you've heard us talk about the industry. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, they're, and they're looking to unionize the entire sector the entire yeah. industry as a, as a whole it's not like uh well you're this type of programmer or you're you know whatever it's just everybody is mm -hmm. if you work in video games you're yeah. under our umbrella yeah and, and another point that the organizers make in this story is that there's um there are a lot of different reasons why one might seek to unionize you might you know want to unionize for better pay but there are also a lot of things that aren't just you know what's in your paycheck that matter to workers um quote I think it's a false dichotomy to frame the activism of a lot of tech workers around the impact that the work they do has on society as something other than a fundamental working condition, CD CWA lead organizer Tom Smith said. For a lot of folks, that's what led them to this work in the first place, and people are feeling a disconnect between their personal values and what they're seeing every day in their working lives. We've seen um, at, at Google and Facebook you know, these walkouts in terms of whether it's sexual harassment or... Google's partnership with the Department of Defense or right. you know, Microsoft mm -hmm. partnering with ICE. You know, yeah. These companies all have had a role to play in basically what we can call the uh, Trump administration's crimes, <laughs> right. to yeah. Sure. Yeah. summarize them. Yeah. And these aren't necessarily separate issues from just you know, bread and butter of pay. These are things that you need collective power to solve, really. Right, yeah. Because otherwise, you're just leaving all the power in the hands of the people doing it already <laughs> right yeah well yeah i mean it, it makes sense to me uh, you know just from how i grew up and you know i'm of the age where i sort of had one one foot out and one foot in of the internet you know personal computing was really becoming sort of a, a household thing when i was 9 10 11 years old and then the internet was this and that so there's still people my age and and i think anyone younger than me too still has that feeling of like the internet is a good thing it's it's maybe the greatest human invention, but then they go to work for these companies and it's just like the drudgery of, it's not what they expected at all. And they're mad and right. they're, and they're willing to do things about it, uh, which is a great sign, I think. Uh, Cause that's the only way that we're going to be able to take the sort of internet back and make it more of a socialist enterprise. <laughs> to, <Right. you> know. <laughs> so sort of to wrap up this past hour, the, the point we've been trying to make is that white, white cower concerns and blue cower concerns aren't necessarily, um, separate they're not they aren't opposed they don't have to be opposed to each other but right. so often they are made to be opposed and this has a lot of effects on like our politics you know right. if you think about you know so, some of the discussions in the democratic primary about means testing you know this idea that you know um you know we shouldn't have free college for everybody because i don't want to pay for donald trump's kids to go to public college which of course they wouldn't but <laughs> but a lot of those sorts of cutoffs and those systems create resentment from the white power workers, the uh, upper middle class, if you will, towards those who get benefits from the government. Right. It, it, it breeds um, antagonism within the system and it creates a ready population of people who are willing to oppose a program because they are excluded from it on the basis of they make, you know, $1,000 more than the cutoff line. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a helpful way to look at it, I guess, is if there's anything that anything that drives you f further apart or makes you feel antagonistic from another working person is only going to be good for capital. Like, so if you, you know, try and look at people as struggling workers, regardless of, you know, what their actual wage is, right? Because again, that's what it comes down to. You're a waged employee or you're an owner. Right. Uh, and if you're a waged employee, regardless of how well you're doing, you're still... That's the class you're in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It. It's it's you know, it's the constant message to don't look don't look behind the curtain. Don't look at the people who are raking it in. You know, mm -hmm. be right. mad be mad at the people around you. Yeah. Right. 
So for this week, we, we hope you have made you a little less resentful. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Earl. I'm Dave. This is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>